Genesis chapter 40. We'll try to do about a chapter and a half. That's my goal. So if you're new, we're in the story of Joseph, the last main character of the book of Genesis. Um, He is from a messed up family, a big giant messed up family. We know of at least 13 people in this family, 12 boys and one daughter. So it reminds me of like a giant homeschool family. You seen those? A couple of years ago when we were still homeschooling our kids, we went to this meeting in town here. It was Joshua Harris, remember him? He wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yeah. So a, a person that was involved in that said, I'm gonna write a book called I Kissed Courting Goodbye because that's what she had to do. Uh, so we went to see his dad who was speaking. So I thought that'd be interesting. Let's go see what he has to say. So he showed up, it was a little church and um, because it was small, they went around the whole church and they had each person introduce like their family. So the whole row would stand up and be like, hi, my name is Bill and this is Jen. And these are my nine children. And then it just kept going. And at that time I had four kids. So it finally comes to me and there's no one with less than like eight kids at that point. I'm like, my name is Matt and this is my wife, Charity. And these are my four children. And I've got 14 at home. <laughs> Couldn't bring them all. And we pulled in, like we pulled in there and every vehicle was a Ford 15 passenger vehicle. Like that's all they drive. Like psh, minivan, six seats. <laughs> ah, that's pathetic. We need 15. So it kind of feels like that kind of family. Like, yeah, there's a giant family, homeschool, crazy. So Joseph has problem with his brothers. They sell him into slavery. He works his tail off, becomes a prisoner. In prison, the warden gives him the keys. Now, if I'm in prison and the warden gives me the keys, I'm gonna take that as a sign from God to escape. Perfect, let's go. This is obviously God, Acts chapter 12, wanting me to get out of here. Joseph doesn't. He stays, he works, he perseveres. And what we learn And what we're learning about Joseph is maybe best said by Jim Lavelle, who was the commander of Apollo 13. And he has this famous saying where he says this, he divided the world into three groups of people. He said, 75% of the world, watch what happens. 20% of the world wonders what happened and 5% of the world make it happen. I've reworded it for myself. Five or 75% um, are amazing. Um, or excuse me, 5% of the world are amazing. Uh, I don't have a way to do it. That's what I just figured out. I have amazing, amazed, and dazed. Those are my three categories. So 75% are like, no, 5% are amazing. are amazed, and then we've got, man, it seems so simple this afternoon. And now it's like, oh, it's the seven children in my home. That's what it is. So that doesn't really matter. We'll move on. What you see with Joseph is regardless of his situation, he just steps up. He's the guy, the 5%, that keeps making it happen. And then around him are these people that are the days, like they just can't figure it out. So Reuben, it looks like he's gonna save him back in chapter 37, but Reuben disappoints him. Then Potiphar, it looks like, okay, I've got a good boss. I got a great job, I'm moving up. And then there's the accusation and Potiphar really knows the truth and he doesn't save him. And then we're gonna get to the cupbearer. He meets this guy who's big up in the administration and man, it looks like he's gonna get it. But no, at the end of this chapter, it just says the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So over and over what Joseph is encountering is he's the 5% that makes it happen and everyone else just overlooks him and forgets him and neglects him. He's learning this, it's Psalm 27, Psalm 20, verse seven. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's what he learns. There's only one trustworthy being 
And it's not these people, as much as I would like it to be, I have to trust God. So we're gonna see that unwrap in this section. So let's jump in. Verse one, chapter 40. He's in prison, he's got the keys, he's the man. Sometime after this, probably years, people estimate he could be, it's gonna be 14 years. They think maybe he was a slave from four to eight years. And then the remainder of that 14 years, whatever you decide on, he's in prison. Long time. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. If you don't know, a cupbearer's job was simply this, to drink a little bit, sample a little bit of the food that Pharaoh was gonna eat about 30 minutes before he ate it. And if he did his job right, he would die instead of Pharaoh, right? So the only award he's gonna get is if he dies. Man, thank you so much. Take him out, get a new one. So not the best job in the world. So that's what the cupbearer does. He is the sampler. If someone's gonna poison the king, he's the canary in the mine. He dies first, okay, and the Pharaoh doesn't. So the chief baker, obviously, pastries and cakes and whatever. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody, maybe a year. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So we've got the butler and the baker and we're just missing the, very good. So Pharaoh gets ticked. We're not told why. Something sets him off and he takes these two high level people and he just throws them into prison. Things like this are always an enigma, right? Like what did they do? And the Bible never answers those questions. And it leaves it wide and here's why. Most people know that very powerful people can be temperamental. It's like the gifted, powerful people, it gives them an excuse to be kind of in a privileged place and kind of like to use people and to step on people. And that's very common. So there's a story told about a guy I really like, his name is Winston Churchill. He is, if you took a single man who would have won World War II, if you just said, who's the one most important guy in World War II? Probably Winston Churchill, history would say. He's the guy that turns the tide, gets America involved, does all that. Um, He, after World War II, they just kick him to the curb. They don't elect him anymore, he's gone. So he's living and he has a servant and they they had a fight, they had a problem. And they make up and Winston Churchill looked at his servant and said, you hurt me. And the servant looked at Winston Churchill and said, yeah, you hurt me. To which Winston Churchill is supposed to have replied, yes, but I am a great man. That's the power, privilege, that those kind of gifted individuals often take liberties and do that kind of stuff. So right here, you have a very powerful man, thought he was God, and the pharaohs were gods. And he now, for some reason, who knows what, sends these two guys to prison. When you read stuff like this, it should make you super, super, super glad to live in the country we live in today, in the time we live in today. Because if you're a student at all of history, the majority of world history was just like this. There would be people that on a whim could do what they wanted to you. That's the majority of world history. That's even in some places to this day, it's the same thing. 
go to Saudi Arabia, right? There are people that on a whim can do what they want. I'm so glad to live at this time in this country. Like I've come back from third world countries and got down on the ground and kissed the ground. It's only when I'm outside. If I'm inside, I'm not kissing that carpet. It's just, I'm thankful to be home and I'll walk because it's so good. It's a great, great land to live in. We have, this just doesn't happen to us, right? So some people say the reason why the baker and the cupbearer, the butler, were thrown into prison is there was an attempt to poison Pharaoh. And somehow he found out about it, and then he's trying to figure out what it is, but nobody knows. It's just a powerful man who maybe on a whim got mad at two people and had him put in prison for a year, right? So going on. The dreams. Dreams are gonna be very important in this next section. I grew up in a hyper-charismatic church. You know what that is? Where like everybody has dreams and everybody can prophesy and, and that's just, that people spoke in tongues like in the middle of a Sunday service or just be, you know, there'd be a time like, like the end of a worship song when the worship leader's like going on and on, singing the same line over and over. Well, then what would happen out here would be people just start speaking in tongues. Like that was, that was the church I grew up in. So people had these dreams and like this dream happened to me and that thing happened to me. And I just kind of got weirded out by it. You know, like when, you, when you're in that, a lot of times you push off of that. As an adult, you're like, ah, oh, I just don't like that. Oh, it's weird. But sometimes you go too far. So I'm now at Acts 2.17 that says in the latter times, in the last days, that there's gonna be these things that happen. Men and women will prophesy that the old men will dream dreams. And so I read that and I think, I don't wanna throw out the baby with the bathwater. That a lot of things get abused, but just because they're abused doesn't mean that we shouldn't acknowledge God still could speak through dreams. And there's actually two dreams, not that I've had, but people that were close to me or talked to me have had. One of them was my grandma. And my grandma grew up and lived in St. Louis, Missouri. And my mom was like, never sure. We'd be like, is, is grandma saved? Well, we just don't know. She went to a, I won't mention the church, but a, a liberal church. And so she's like, I don't know. She believes in Jesus. Until this moment. And it was when she was much older. She had lost her keys and she could not find them for a long time. So she got down on her bed before she went to sleep one night and prayed, Jesus, I've lost my keys. I really need them. Help me to find them. And that night she had this dream that in her dream, she was walks through the mantle and there's a little box and she opens the box and inside are her keys. And then she wakes up. So guess what she did? She grabbed the flashlight, went to the mantle, opened the little box and guess what was in there? The keys. And she called us. You would not believe it happened to me last night. I had, right? And I'm like, wow, okay. All right. So, all right, that works. Another one, a gal just told me three weeks ago after a Sunday, she said, I need to talk to you about this. She Older gal has pain, so she had been put on prescription meds and had been on them for a long time. And she couldn't get off of them. She wanted to get off them. She could not get off them. She's been trying and trying and trying. She said, six months ago, I had this dream. And I won't tell you the dream, but it was really, really impacting. Had to deal with her, her kids, her grandkids, really important things. And she woke up from it and she said, that's it. And she is not. Now she's been clean for six months from opioids. So I think if you really have a dream from God, you're gonna either find your keys on the mantle or you're gonna be radically changed. Because I don't think God wastes his dreams. If you really, it's not gonna be like, I had this dream and this happened and you go on with life. We're gonna see these dreams impact history. And so I think if there's a real dream and it's really from God, it'll be radical and it'll, it'll change your life. You will not be the same after you have that dream. It'll have that kind of impact on you. So that's kind of now my measuring stick of it. Not just throw it all out because it's craziness, but there should be some kind of change in you like happens here, right? So Joseph looks at these guys and in verse 80 says this, interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. I think this is Joseph remembering his two dreams and his interpretation of his own dreams. And it's a way of him saying, God, I trust that even this prison, you will still use me 
and I'm gifted, and by faith, I can still interpret dreams. That it's almost a way of him reassuring himself, God, you're still with me, and you're gonna use me, and I can interpret these dreams. So it's, it's, it's almost like he's learning that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. God, I'm gonna trust in you. Give me the interpretation. So I, I like that. And we'll see more of it, actually. He gets very bold. Bolder than this. This is like step one. When he's at Pharaoh, he's much bolder. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I indeed was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Love this. Joseph knows God can use me. He's working, he's doing what he needs to do while he's waiting for God. And then verse 14, he interprets this dream, tells him that he has such confidence in his interpretation. He says, hey, remember me when you get out. Tell Pharaoh about me. He asks right? He's not fatalistic. I think Christians sometimes get into this mentality where they think, well, if God's going to make it happen, I'll just let him make it happen. That's not Joseph, right? I'm going to work at this thing. I'm going to interpret this dream. And listen, when you're at Pharaoh, tell him about me. Please tell him, please, right? I love that. He's not fatalistic, which is the tendency of people in, in Joseph's situation. Has anybody here read Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance? Yeah. It's a, if, if you wanna know about the Ohio Valley and that part of America, read that book. It's a bestseller. It'll, it'll grasp you really quick. And it has a brilliant end to it. He comes full circle. Um, it, there's a great faith part to it as well. Just, it, and it just tells you about this, the brokenness that's happened in the Ohio, Ohio value, Valley. And I read that right after that. I read Dreamland which is about the drug crisis, that its epicenter is the Ohio Valley as well. It just, it's unbelievable what, what has happened there. The, 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 from sugar, just the, the, what, what these people, what, what really kids eat there and how it starts to form their brains. And it's just amazing, it's, it's unbelievable. In Dreamland, they said this, that the drug dealers were so powerful there that they would send out a shopping list to their clients be like, I want a chainsaw, I want a DVD player, I want a 55-inch plasma screen TV, I want all this stuff. And their clientele would just walk into Walmart, load it into a shopping cart, and walk out with it. And what they said was this, that the Walmart person like guarding the door, they're making minimum wage, they wouldn't even stop them. All right. And half of them said, we knew them anyways, and they were popping pills with us. So they just walk in, take a chainsaw, take this, and it happens all the time there. Like, I, it, was, it was mind-blowing, right? So just generations of this kind of brokenness. And so there's a term now that was termed by J.D. Vance and this psychologist for them. It's called learned helplessness. That because of the Rust Belt and no jobs and the economy and hard times and drugs and just loss after loss after loss, what they've said has happened actually to this community there, it's learned helplessness. Well, it's just gonna be this way. There's nothing to do about it. I'll just pop it in a pill. Learned helplessness. There's a study done on rats where they found that can happen to even a rat. They took these rats and they held them over this bucket of water. And if you just drop a rat in a bucket of water, guess what it does? Swims and gets out. Like, I don't wanna be in here. And it doesn't wanna fall in the water, so it'll struggle and struggle and struggle. They found if they wrap these rats in this contraption that actually didn't allow them to move a muscle and they brought him over the water and they held that rat until it gave up struggling. And right at that moment, they dropped it. Guess what happened to that rat? 
would sink to the bottom without swimming one single stroke and drown, learned helplessness. So Joseph here, if you think about, man, from favorite son to kidnap to slave to falsely accused of rape to in prison to be forgotten, if there's anyone that could do learned helplessness, it would be Joseph, but he's not. He keeps working, he keeps trying. So I told a negative story about Winston Churchill. I'll tell a positive one. He gave a speech in 1941. It's probably his most famous speech. Um, And it goes like this. I'll quote it for you. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. And that's a great like motivational thing for people. But as a believer, we have a better reason than just courage or honor. Jesus walked out of a grave. Jesus walked out of a grave. We should never, never, never have learned helplessness because Jesus, the one we served, walked out of a grave. We are more than conquerors. It doesn't matter how the situation looks. It doesn't matter how bleak it is. It doesn't matter if we're in a tomb. Jesus walked out of a grave. And when we get into this learned helplessness thing, this fatalistic, like, well, whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. The Bible really warns us when you do that, you can miss out on what God wants for you. Like there are warnings in the Bible. Read Matthew 25, right? 10 bridesmaids come and they wanna get in. Five of them have enough oil Five of them run out. They're not prepared and they miss out. And the, right, the very next parable is the same message. It's a parable of the talents where the master gives talents to these three guys. And the first two are like, awesome, man. You know what a talent is? Does anyone know what a talent is in the Bible? It's a bag of gold. That's literally what it is. They were given bags of gold. Here's a bag of gold. Whoa, awesome. And they used their bag of gold and they made something out of it. The two of them did. But one guy, what did he do? He buried his. And does he miss out? Oh, massively. He misses out. And you know the reason why he buried his gold? Because he said, I knew that you are a hard master that you reap where you did not sow. So I was afraid. And so I hid your gold. Do you know why theology matters so much? Because what you believe about the master is going to influence how you live your life. If you believe he's a hard master that reaps where he does not, you're gonna be afraid of him. And that's gonna dominate your life. If you believe God is a vindictive judge who's just waiting to squash you, that's gonna really change how you live your life. If you believe God is a cosmic Santa Claus chasing out who's naughty and nice, that's gonna change how you live. The first two people are like, dude, you're generous. Thank you. Awesome, let's go use this. That's why to me, I keep on and I'll keep on saying to you, listen, God is good and generous. And when you understand that about God, it actually shapes the way that you live just like that guy. It's the antidote to that kind of understanding of God's this vindictive. No, he's not. He's our heavenly father who's generous, who gives out bags of gold, who gives out bags of gold to people. And then, then that, that same dude that buried it said, you're just gonna take it for yourself. The master doesn't do that to the first two. He gives it to them. You guys take that, rule now, rule 10 cities. Really important what you believe about God. Really important that we don't become fatalistic, that we're like Joseph saying, I'm gonna keep going for it. I'm not learned helplessness, I'm gonna go for it. One of my favorite stories of this is 2 Kings 13. Elisha is ready to die. He calls in King Joash and he says this, hey, take an arrow and shoot out the window. Okay, the guy does it. He goes, all right, that's what you're gonna do to the Syrians, the enemy at that time. And he goes, take these other arrows and um, smash them on the ground. And so this guy just kind of, Joash, just kind of taps him on the ground and Elisha just freaks. He's like, why did you do that three times? You should have done it five or six times and then you would have completely defeated the Syrians. But now... 
because you just tap the arrows. They're gonna be your enemy and they're gonna take you out. Why weren't you enthusiastic? Why weren't you, why weren't you like, yeah, okay, let's take it. You just were tapping your arrows. You know what enthusiastic, the root of enthusiastic is? N, theos. N means in. What does theos mean? God. Enthusiastic just means this. I'm into God. He walked out of a grave. Oh my goodness. Nothing's impossible for him. Are you kidding me? I'm enthusiastic. I am into this. So I'm gonna ask, and I'm gonna seek, I'm gonna knock, I'm gonna go for it. That's what Joseph does. He does not learn helplessness. And then I love it just verse 15. He's probably been with these guys for a year. This is the first time he tells them his story. Joseph is not a whiner. You know, everybody in prison is innocent, right? I didn't do it. Joseph never pulls that card until a year with these guys. And he doesn't throw Potiphar under the bridge or under the bus, I should say. He doesn't throw his wife under the bus. He just says, hey, What's done with me? I didn't like what happened to me. I mean, he's really, really careful with his words. He's learned something. Because remember in chapter 37, he was not careful with his words at all. Now he's become something different. He's moving and changing and being transformed into the man that God can use. So, good. Hey, I'm gonna get back my job. Awesome. Now the chief baker's like, hey, verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. And there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. and three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. The dream started out good, right? Baked goods, pastries, I mean, that's awesome. But I think Pharaoh must be gluten intolerant because he's done with this guy. And so it ends in ISIS, right? And verse 19 is the ultimate insult for an Egyptian because the Egyptians believed in the afterlife, but they believed in order to get into the afterlife, you had to be made into a mummy. So important people were mummified so they could have the afterlife. So this guy is being told literally, it's over. You're going to be eaten. You get no afterlife. This is the worst thing possible. Joseph is honest about both good news and bad news. He's not like, you know, I don't really know what that one could be. Oh, I'm not sure. (laughs) Right? He's honest about the good news and the bad news. The people of God have to be honest about the good news and the bad news. We need to be honest about both. And I love a positive message. I'd much rather preach a positive message than a negative message. But you know what I'm positive about? I'm positive that if you don't love Jesus, it's not gonna go good for you. I'm positive that sinners need their sins forgiven by Jesus. I'm positive that hell is hot and eternity is long. And so I have to be willing to both tell the good news, hey, and the bad news, just like Joseph, because it matters, it matters. There is an afterlife and it matters. So Joseph, bro, sorry, three days, you're dead. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of his chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Pharaoh has a birthday. Do you know that Pharaoh is the only person in the Old Testament to celebrate a birthday? There's no other birthday celebration in all the Old Testament. And what does he want on his birthday? To hang the baker. 
Bro, who's gonna cook your birthday cake, man? You just hang the dude that can make your cake, right? Do you know the one person in the New Testament that celebrates his birthday? You can shout it out if you know it. Herod, very good. What does Herod do on his birthday? Cut off John the Baptist's head, right? Should we be celebrating birthdays? (laughs) Right? (laughs) They're not very positive in the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses do not celebrate birthdays because of Pharaoh and because of Herod. They're like, it's negative. (laughs) I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm just saying it's fascinating. It's very interesting, right? So why does he restore the cupbearer and kill the baker? Some would say his investigation turns up that the cupbearer is innocent and the baker was trying to kill him. Maybe, I don't know. It's crazy. This is what happens. So it ends, chapter 40 ends very, very sadly, right? That the chief cupbearer did not remember this phenomenal guy who has served him and helped him and loved him and been cool to him for probably a year, forgets about him. And then chapter 41 says, after two whole years, man, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, the Nile to Egypt, is like oil to the United States. Imagine you shut off oil in the United States tomorrow. What would happen to us? No fertilizer, no tires. It would be, we could, you can't even imagine it. No plastic. It is is unfathomable how tied we are in to, to oil, right? Tesla would be doing phenomenal, but no one else would. It'd be brutal. That's the Nile. The Nile was the life source. And it actually made them very different than everyone else because the Nile always ran. The Nile always ran, so it always had water. So the, the, the Nile was like this, this amazing thing that made Egypt prosperous while very much of the other countries would go up and down, up and down, up and down. Egypt was continually like growing strong economy. So he's by this Nile, this is the source of everything, the source of life. And behold, there came up out of the Nile Seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. (laughs) Ever seen like a third world cow? And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Behold, seven ears of grain plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears and Pharaoh awoke and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So two years go by, 730 days. Every time Joseph heard a step coming down the pit, he would, his heart would jump. Is it the cupbearer sending for me? Nope. Day after day after day. No, two years is a long time. Two years to be forgotten. You gotta wonder, what, what did Joseph think? Man, I wish my dad never gave me that coat. I wish someone besides Potiphar had bought me. I wish Potiphar would have stood up for me. I wish his wife didn't like me. Right? I wish I'd really told that cupbearer, listen, man, I'm gonna write this down. Gonna, you've gotta do this for me. I wish I would really impressed it upon him. Like just, um, like how much turmoil I must he have been in. And he never gets bitter And even when he gets out, he never gets that entitlement in him. Like there's something brilliant that happens to him, right? So the cupbearer forgets about Joseph, forgets to get a message to Pharaoh, but guess who did get a message to Pharaoh? God, all right, don't worry about it. I'll get a message to him. God is never limited by man's disobedience or man's forgetfulness. 
God's not limited by that. So we can moan about certain things, um, the shutdown of countries for the gospel. To me, China is the example. China shut down when Chairman Mao came and he tried to stamp out the fire of Christianity. And the last census we had was like in 1948 and they figured there was 100,000 Christians in China. The next census we had was at the end of, uh, no, next kind of gathering, was the end of Chairman Mao's time in the 70s and they estimated 30 million Christians. So Chairman Mao is a better evangelist than Billy Graham, <laughs> right? More people got saved underneath him <laughs> because man, God can get the message in. And right now there's these great articles and one of my professors know these, knows these people in, uh, in African countries, these Muslims who they're shut down to the gospel, but they're having these dreams now where Jesus appears to them and it's becoming so common now. It's unbelievable. So man's disobedience or Chairman Mao's trying to stamp out Christianity, it does not hinder God. God's not hindered by these things. It's awesome. So Pharaoh has this dream. God comes to him. He knows it's important, knows there's something. So he calls all of his magicians, right? Dion Warwick, the 1-800 number, whatever it is, right? Deepak Chopra, what is this? They can't do it. And maybe they tried with their normal thing. Oh, the plump cows are you, Pharaoh, and you're plump and beautiful and you own the Nile. And they're like, he's like, no, you're wrong. That's not what it is. So this goes on. Verse nine. Then the chief gut bearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offense today. Oh, I'm so sorry, right? I forgot this guy. Ever forget one of your kids? Right? So I can kind of feel for him, like, I forgot my very kids. So, right? So I remember when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation he interpreted to us, so it came about. And I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Remember that? Remember you killed the baker? Yeah, we remember it. <laughs> then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Just imagine this. Years in prison, years as a slave. This is big break, right? This is the American Idol show. This is you finally get a scholarship to Alabama. Yes. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, totally, man, I got this. I will interpret your dream. He doesn't say that, does he? I would be tempted to. I mean, this is his big break. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Is Joseph prepared now? <sighs> yeah. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin. He's added a little bit there. There's some additions that are awesome. Such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them. I read that and I'm like, that's me, right? I can just eat whatever I want and like I lose weight. Other people look at ice cream and they gain 20 pounds. I'm like, Ugh. I don't know why it is. Always been that way. I also saw in my dream, seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. 
God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will be seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. As you read this story further, does the plenty be unknown in the land? No. Why? Because they did something about it, right? So there is in the Bible times where God will say, this is going to happen, and then people will respond, and what God said was gonna happen doesn't happen. Do you know that? Okay, I'll give you a couple examples. Right here is one of them. Another example is in 1 Samuel chapter 23, where David is in this town, Keilah. He's there. He brings in the ephod. He begins to ask, inquire of God. He says, God, is Saul gonna come down here and attack me? And God says, yep. If Saul comes down here and attacks me, will the people of Keilah, will they turn me over to Saul? And God says, yes, they will turn you over to Saul. So what does David do? He's like, well, I guess that's what God said is gonna happen. I'm done. No, what does David do? He packs up and leaves. It's a warning, right? Jonah, hey, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. You need to preach that message. Goes into Nineveh, hey, 40 days, this place is gonna be destroyed. Does it get destroyed? No, why? The people responded. And because of that, God says, okay, this is the route we'll go then as well. What, what you see is there is always a human God interaction. And based on how we respond to God can change the trajectory that God designs. So David knows this at the end of his life when, when there's bad stuff happening, he goes, perhaps God has said, this is the punishment for me for numbering the people. Remember that one? Because perhaps if I'm in sackcloth and I'm repentant, God will see that and God will respond to that. So I always wanna bring that into my mind when you think about, oh, this is the way things, no. God is waiting for us to respond to him like here, like, and God, does he know what he's gonna do? Oh, totally. I don't though. So I'm gonna keep responding and repenting and moving and trusting that God will then do what's best in every situation. I, I, I could spend a lot more time on that, but I'm not gonna. But it's a fascinating thing to me, as you see in the Bible. There's more examples than what I just gave there. So the fa this doesn't happen because, here's why. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that, th that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the product of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the grain of the good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. We can make it so it doesn't happen that way, right? So he interprets the problem, but Joseph boldly then says, here's a solution. 10 minutes ago, I was a convicted rapist in prison. Now I'm standing before the most powerful man known at this time, and I'm turning into Alan Greenspan. I'm giving you economic advice. How bold, how brilliant is that, right? I love this. So 
Let me give you three things and then we'll go. Number one, God never wears a watch, but he's never late. God doesn't wear a watch. He's not on our time schedule. He doesn't do things the way we want them to be done. But is God late in this story? No, because all this thing, all these things we'll see need to happen for Joseph to be where he needs to be. It all happened, if you would. It's Joseph was being prepared for such a time as this, like in the book of Esther. Number two, suffering is the classroom where the kids of the king get their graduate degree. If Joseph had been left at his home with his dad's favoritism and that kind of treatment, he would have never become the man that could lead this crew, right? In chapter 37, he's gifted. He's got dreams. He can interpret them. He's uh, a gifted boss because already his dad's like, dude, you're gonna be the boss. You're gonna take over. The family business is yours. He already has all those gifts in him, but... He's a jerk. He doesn't have wisdom yet. But now you start looking at him, verse 16. Hey, it's not me. I'm not gonna be high and mighty. Not me, it's God, right? He has this humility, but he also has this confidence in God. He has this courage to stand up before Pharaoh and be like, this is what I would do. Would you do that in front of the president of the United States? Hey, this is what I'd do. Maybe some of us would. But that's pretty bold. Like he has just, just boldness. This is what I would do. He's becoming brilliant. It's through that classroom of suffering that he becomes the kingly kind of person that can rule well. And then thirdly, he has this sixth sense that all believers should have of faith. And the mistake most people make is this in life. We think great thoughts of men and small thoughts of God. Really evaluate your weak what are the majority of your thoughts about? It's usually the majority of our great thoughts are if I could just get this guy or just talk to that person or just get that. It's our great thoughts are about men and we have very small like leftover thoughts about God. That's the majority of the way we do it. We trust in chariots and horsemen and we forget the name of the Lord, our God. That's what we do. But Joseph is learning this, people fail me. I trusted in Reuben, he didn't save me. I trusted in Potiphar, trusted in the cupbearer. I've just been failed over and over and over. It's God, it's God. And then he goes on this incredible limb with Pharaoh, right? It's not me, verse 16, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. How's that for faith? God's gonna give me the interpretation. Is that bold or what? When's the last time you ever, when's the last time you went out on a limb of faith for God? Where you just say something like this, God's gonna give me the interpretation for you. Like I sometimes go over my own prayer life and I think I pray really weak prayers. Like at the end of the day, I I pray really weak prayers. That's what I do. Like I'm not really, God's gonna do this. You know why? because my faith is small and because I have small thoughts about God. And then I'm always convicted because I read the prayers of the people in the Bible. Acts chapter three, Peter and John come into the temple. They see a dude who's crippled. He wants money from them. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. How would you like to say that to somebody crippled? Do you know it? I don't have the faith to say it though, <laughs> right? Peter and John did. Dude stood up. Joseph goes out on a limb here. What if God didn't give him the interpretation? Well, he just had faith. Nope, God's gonna do this. Goes out on a limb, stands on it. Oh, think big thoughts about God. That's been like something that I've been, I, I wanna think big thoughts about you. I'm gonna put small thoughts about men because they're gonna fail me and, and you know, just like I fail people and I'm gonna be forgotten and I'm not gonna matter whatever. I'm gonna start thinking really big thoughts about you because I want my life to be shaped by that. 
I want my theology to be shaped by how big you are, that your arm is not short, but it's able to reach. And I wanna start asking big, like Joseph did, like Peter and John did, like Elisha did, like Moses, right? Moses, God's like, hey, I'm done with you guys. I'm gonna wipe this crew out. I'm gonna start over with you, Moses. And what does Moses say? No, no. Remember your covenant. Remember this, remember that. He starts to repeat to God, right? Now God knew he was gonna do that, no doubt. And God, if you would, changed his mind. Like, yeah, okay, that's what I'm gonna do now. Big thoughts about God. Man, I wanna live that way. Joseph has been shaped by these 14 years, from the time he was 17 till 30. You can count it as 13 or 14, depending on how you wanna count it. He's been shaped by these years. And now he has a very, very big perspective of God. I hope our perspective grows like Joseph's. I hope we ask and seek and knock and think big thoughts about God and small thoughts about men. The psalmist says this, come, let us magnify God together. As well as the psalmist says, who is man that you're mindful of me? Have magnified thoughts about God and minimal thoughts about people because they're gonna fail you. We don't trust in chariots. We don't trust in horsemen. We remember the name of the Lord, our God, and we call out to him. So Jesus, this night, I thank you for Joseph. I thank you for the transformation from chapter 37 to chapter 41. Have you, you have made his life brilliant using the sin and the mistakes of his brothers. Judo theology style, what you meant for evil God has turned to good to the saving of many lives. And he has blossomed. I pray for those in here this day who may be in the suffering classroom. I pray that they would know that you are with them. I pray that they would know that you can use all these things for your purpose and your glory to grow up kings and priests and prophets. I pray, Lord, for us as we leave this place, as we go about what you've called us to do on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, I pray that we would be a people that are willing to tell people both the good news and the bad news that we would be truthful, full of grace and truth. I pray that we would be those that are engaged, not fatalistic, knowing that you created us in Genesis 1 to be partners, covenant partners in this work. That it's your joy to use us. It's your joy to hear from us. It's your joy for us to believe in you as our great king and ruler and creator. So may we go from here having a right theology about you so it shapes us, so we become the people who grab the talents you have given to us and invest them and see an increase because you are good and generous. We pray this in your name, amen.